Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you that we find ourselves in the house of God with the people of God, listening to the word of God and seeing your glorious work amongst men, O oh God. We pray that your word would be a seed planted in our hearts, that it would be cultivated, that it would be fertile and good seed that gives forth good fruit, Lord, uh, because no one will stand in your presence without fruit. And we want to know that in our lifetime we spent being attentive to you and to you as a priority in our lives. You are God and worthy of our praise and glory and honor. We pray, Father God, that all things be done for your pleasing and your satisfying. Many times we would not be able to be servants of the Lord if we pleased men. But we're destined to please you and that you would receive the foremost priority of our devotion and our worth, our worship, that it would be evident. You're seeking those who worship you sincerely and without hypocrisy. So make us those people, Lord, and allow your word this morning to be that double-edged sword that pierces our hearts, that the Holy Spirit might be able to use to perfect our walk and our praise in you. Forgive us our sins. There are many. Wash us with the blood of Jesus. Make us white as snow. Cleanse us. Lord, make us white as wool. Remove the crimson, scarlet stain of our selfishness and sin and allow us to be before you justified without sin, just as if I never sinned, Lord, because your work is glorious and perfect. Prosper your word in our hearts and in our lives that we not sin or err against you. Lord, be glorified in everything we do in this place. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice, worthy to the life of God in us, incorruptible, a new life, Lord, that honors you in every way. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. We pray, amen and amen. Um, as we continue to move into celebration mode, you do well to become a person that is able to give forth joyful celebration. We already know what it's like to be a perpetual whiner and, and a person that that, you know, sees darkness in all things. Uh, we were saying at the gala that Isaiah chapter 9 starts out in verse 1 talking about a people that are in a dark place. And this is all of us before we came to Christ. We had a candlelight service. Um, it was hilarious because as we came to the house of the Lord last Wednesday and we did our candlelight service, I can tell you darkness has been removed from my life. Something happened. And uh, so for in a practical sense, you say, well, pastor, how does darkness remove itself from your life? Look, um, Monday afternoon, I think it was in the late afternoon, uh, I went to play golf with Jules, and my golf game was horrible. But after the candlelight service, darkness left. And he says, what happened? I was shooting birdies, not, not the, okay. Um, birdie is a golf score. Um, so I was putting 30 yard putts and they were going in and he was like, what happened? I go last night, the candlelight service. See, if you would have missed it, darkness continues in your golf game. Um, no darkness actually leaves when you pursue the presence of God. And we say, the more you press into this, it says there, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when the, uh, uh light, when at First, he lightly esteemed the land of Sebulun. Um, verse 2, these people that dwelt, who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. People that don't know how to celebrate Jesus, this passage in Isaiah, is the, the messianic prophetic utterance that Jesus would come as the light of the world and wipe out everything that's dark. And so we come from dark places, people. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And, and, and for whatever it's worth, there's been no place upon the earth, I don't care how dark it's been, that I have not been able to come in and pronounce and proclaim Jesus as the light. And when light appears, darkness has to flee. It's just that's the way it's been ordained. 
uh, we know that when uh, God first came upon the earth, Genesis 1, 1, it says that he created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, Genesis 1, 2 says, and deep darkness, uh, darkness was on the face of the deep. And then God has an answer for darkness. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. So this is how God deals with these issues. He didn't say he went to borrow money. He didn't go expand his business. He needed light to come in. And in that light, we saw his glory. Isaiah 9, 6, because that's the pronouncement of these days we celebrate. For unto us a child is born. What was the great light people saw? The Son of God. And in that light, the Son is given. And look at, very important, for those of you that are anarchist and without government and you don't want uh, a pastor in your life you don't want a government upon your life it says government will be upon his shoulders the very essence of all order is christ and if you want to be without order then just just get god just tell jesus to get off your ship and and move in another direction but if you're going to follow jesus the very first thing he brings to your life is order and it's based on government laws and rules and principles and statutes and the devil hates that so he raised up his throne above the throne of god so he wouldn't be under god's law and and so recently a family here at the church uh, i i govern in this place i preside as the head elder the founder of this church and i judge matters and i want to it's important that people see that they're in the blessing of god or out of the blessing of god and it's a very serious responsibility i have so when I, I went over to this family, I said, why are you guys out of order? He says, oh, don't worry about it. I gave my blessing. No, you didn't give your blessing. You just cursed your offspring because you usurped the government of God. Now, people don't want to talk about that in these days because we live in a lawless generation where everyone does as they please. That's what the book of Judges tells us. As everybody does as they please, there is no king. You abdicate yourself from the kingdom of God when you want to live above the laws. But here it says that this man, this child that would be born, grow up to be a man. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then verse 7, it says, and the, the extent of his government, the increase of his government, because you will see like I have seen that when Jesus knocks on the door... He doesn't want to come in as your buddy and as your friend. He wants to come in as a king. And you have to decide if you're going to let him rule. And if you don't let him rule, then he has no part in you. And you will have no peace and no joy and no righteousness. Because the kingdom of God is peace, joy, and righteousness. If we stay within his parameters, we'll be blessed. And if we decide to remove ourselves, it says the increase of his government will lead to the increase of peace. The people that have no peace is because they're not within his rules and statutes. That's why I have had peace for 38 years. Because his government has increased more and more in my life. His peace has increased more and more. In every season of my life, I have greater amounts of peace, not stressed out, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. Oh, I want the good side of Jesus, but don't judge me. You know, some people like that don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Well, I'm sorry. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be your buddy. I'm called to, to like a referee to call strikes and balls. And I call them as I see them. And my friend, if you don't want to hear the judgment and the justice of God, remove yourself from his kingdom. Look what performs this. The seal, the zeal of God, the Lord of hosts will perform this. If, if you really burn with yearning that Christ would come in and rule, uh, I think that you're going to see uh, the glory of his kingdom established. Okay, so in this regard, we're talking about entering into the celebration of feast. That's what we're doing. We did it at the candlelight service. We did it at Thanksgiving. You'll see that all these feasts are favorable. They're all inspired by the word of God. This is the will of God, that you thank God in everything. So the, the pilgrims decided, let's thank God for the harvest. Since we got big pumpkins in Seir, let's share them with our neighbor and thank God 
for the sovereignty and the bounty of the goodness of God over our crops. He has been the increase of our blessing. So they had a great big table, a great big meal with family and friends, and they prayed and thanked the Lord. I think that that should be one of our largest celebrations during the year where we invite people from the outside. A lot of people are not joyful in celebration. They're in darkness. They're in doom. They're in gloom. The sun has not been born at that house. But here it is, Hebrews 10, 24, where the Bible says this is the centerpiece of our worship. What is it? Not forsaking. Let's, let's make sure that we're not, not assembling. Hebrews 10, 24, please put it up there. Let us, who? All of us. Consider is a calculated uh, measure. You, you want to pull out your ruler and you want to begin to measure the extent of how one another we can stir up love and good works. The, the whole type of fellowship, I, I was in South America, gathered with some families, and strife and animosity and contention were always being served on the platter. So one day I saw all this animosity, contentious, and discussion, and I said, like the Bible says, let us hate one another. That's not what the Bible says. It says, let us love one another. But, but it seems to be that we are more capable of dissension, contention, criticism, bizarre, dark, gloomy disposition. And we're not. It says, the reason we should consider one another, and we're looking in each other's lives, we all know each other, and it's to stir up love. What can I do to reach out and love these people that are... Ah, Many times unlovable, but that's why God has brought us together. Let us consider how we can love one another. And when we pull out our, what are they called? Prods. A prod in, in the old days, they were sticks that had like sharp edges. Today, they use small ones, but they have electricity. I'm going to buy you all electricity prods so you could prod one another to love and good works. Like, but it seems to be we're doing it opposite. That when you prod people, it's not to lust, stir up love, but to stir up strife. Do you have an exchange with somebody? At the end of it, you feel horrible. That wasn't stirred up to love. That was stirred up to be selfish, to isolate, to not celebrate union. Um, not only to stir up, but to prod people into love, but to good works. Man, you should really come out to our gala. You should really come over to my house. You should really get to have more fellowship. You and I could change the world together. You and I could serve Jesus Christ. You and I could make a better church. You and I could go out and witness. You and I could do something for God. And so our gathering is not to be for judgment. That's what he says during the Lord's Supper. Paul says, man, you guys come together for judgment. You come together to uh, cause negative sentiment. You're, you're, you're not coming together for what's good. What, what you guys are doing. Look what it says, verse 25. If we consider one another to stir each other to love and good works, how? Not forsaking the gathering of yourselves. That's, that's the first, the common cold in Christianity is when you stop coming to all our gatherings. What, are you rich and you don't need the gathering? No, you're insane. And you're forsaking the place that's charging you with greater warmth in this world. And the worldly people are not going to come in this place, but the people of God should. And they should be in the place where they're being raised up to be mighty Christians, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Um, the great story was, was Mr. Ibanez, Armando Ibanez, at the age of 20, had grown up in church, grown up in a youth group, and he told his parents, listen, I'm just going to take three months off. Since I've been a Christian for 20 years, three months is nothing. And you know what? Those three months became 20 years. He didn't come back till way later with a broken marriage and a broken life. Thank God he was one of the lucky ones that got to come back. But you can see that if you take some time off, it could be your last time off. It could be that you're broken off forever, and then how will you...
be able to come back to a place where they celebrate Christ. And so here it is, assembling yourselves together as the, um, it says, not forsaking the assembly, as is the manner of some. Some. Uh, Richie was just saying, some people are saying, who are these some people? They're not here. They, they look from the outside and they can't rejoice with what we rejoice. They can't weep with what makes us weep because they have distanced themselves from the gathering of his people. And so perpetually, I've talked to these people. They said, Pastor, for eight years, we've gone to every church in Miami. We haven't been able to found what we had with you. And I'm like, come back. But they can't. They can't. They've been disfellowshipped by the Spirit of God. They, they do not know how to come back to the place that they removed themselves from at one time or were removed. But instead of forsaking the assembly, exhort one another. Even as you see the day of the Lord approaching, if you don't know Jesus is about to come back, I want to tell you that today. Jesus is coming soon. You say, well, pastor, I think the word is a little bit inappropriate that soon would be quickly and you better use another expression because he's taking too long. Look, I'm just quoting what he said and I know him not to be a liar. And there it is in Revelations 22, the last book of the Bible, in verse 7, he says, Beholdly, I'm coming quickly. I don't know what quickly is in the measure of your time, but quickly to me is fast. I'm coming soon. And blessed is he who's keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. It's glorious to hear Jesus says, I'm coming back quickly. And so I wanted to go read verse 20. He who testifies to these things heard these words. He says, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So we know Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming back quickly. Those of you that are listening to me on social media, get your behinds back into church. Get back in not forsaking the assembly of the gathering of his people to stir up. To good works and to love, uh, to love his people rather than to withdraw, to cover his people rather than to expose. And he says like that in so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So here it is, 1 John 1, 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you might also have fellowship. You want to have fellowship? You want to connect with the people of God? We declare this to you, the things we've seen and heard so you may have fellowship, connect with us. Because truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This gathering of God's people, He says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. He's having fellowship with us and He's reminding us the things we are not to forget. Like what? Ephesians 4.15, that we're to fellowship with the body of Christ. We should be connected, sharing and caring, speaking the truth in love, growing up in all things to the head, which is Christ. As we grow up in these things, verse 16, we're going to have closer ties to one another from whom the whole body is joined and knitted together by every joint, supplying according to the effectiveness, working of every part that does his share. Last night, I got a text from one of the parents here. says, hey, we're worried about the youth being in the wrong part of town. I said, thank you for caring. Thank you for being attentive to the body of Christ. Why? Because that's why we're here. We're caring for one another. We're, we're to bless one another. We're to speak words that, that, that garner our intimacy and connection in greater causes the body to grow and to build itself up in love. I think somebody changed that word love and hate. Build each other up in, you know, all manner of twistedness. No, my friend, the body of Christ is knitted together. It's connected. It's working together. Every part doing its share, causing the growth of the body, edifying itself. And so every, every expression of celebration in the word of God has that in purpose. This is why God... You know, I was thinking, man, you come out of Egypt. You've been a slave for 400 years. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, I want you guys to celebrate. And you're like, there's nothing to celebrate, Lord. We, 
We've been slaves as long as we know. The only thing we know how to do is, is to mourn and to lick our wounds and to be bitter and critical. Well, look what it says in um, Psalm 122, verse 1. The, the difference of the disposition, I rejoice, I was glad. It motivated me positively when I heard someone say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That, that was, something happened when somebody told me, let's go be with God's people. I was glad. Oh, there's a different newspaper out there now. It's worse than the Miami Herald. Uh, where it says, oh, don't go to that place. Those people are miserable. Those people are awful. Those people are, uh, those people, yeah, they should close that place down. Oh, that place is no good. That place has nothing. Listen to me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the rejoicing of those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go up to the mountain to meet with God. Why? Verse two, our feet are standing in your gates. We're within the parameters of the kingdom of God. How awful it would be to be disconnected and isolated from the gathering of God's people. How horrible. The word is called exiled. I, I'm an exile from Cuba. Never was born or raised in the homeland of my fathers. Why? Because it was stolen from us. It was taken. The land of my fathers was my deprivation because hostile takeover. And so I've lived a life of exile in a land that has been strange. That's not our language. They could not pronounce Joaquin. They would say Joachim. They could not pronounce who I was and where I came from because it was taken from us. Well, let's not be exiled from the house of God. Let's not be removed and isolated and find ourselves in a desolate wilderness away from the shouts of jubilee. The great shouts of joy, the music and the song that this man is talking about him being invited to. Verse 3, because Jerusalem is built like a city compacted together. You will, I challenge you right now, you will find no place upon planet earth that you could find a Clarita running around with a Ruthie. A 90-year running around with a seven-year-old rejoicing in the house of God. What happened at that celebration gala where we saw young kids jumping and shouting and praising God with old people like me that marveled and couldn't move like they, I used to move like they did. But I challenge you find a place with more unity than the house of God. You won't find it. There's Cubans, Puerto Ricans, and Dominicans all together in one spirit. Indians from La India. There's people from Nicaragua, from Mexico. The people that should be lifelong enemies. They're in the house of God, praising God together. There's Manny, a grandfather with Julian going hunting. Why? The spirit of God is here. For those that are compacted together that means tightly nothing comes between us because between us is christ the cross nothing moves us nothing is a greater glue than the reality of the spirit of god now if you get toxic in your nature and you become like satan he argues with himself in the mirror what you looking at and you'll be bitter and you'll be close to no one. You'll be separated from your wife and your children and your, your family and friends. But not the Jerusalem. Jerusalem, every tribe, every tongue, every people will be before the throne. It there continues on to say, verse 4, that is where the tribes go up. Last night at the gala, uh, Friday night, we were talking about the Hatways. The Hatways are the Cuban Indians. They are the toughest of all tribes coming to Christ because of their arrogance, because of their defiance of the God of the heavens. But then when I finished talking about them, somebody came up to me and says, hey, don't forget the Tayanos, Tainos, the Puerto Rican tribes. My goodness. I said, we didn't talk about them at the gala because there's too many in there and I didn't want problems. We talked about my father's tribe, Lohatuay. 
the, the, the Cuban Indians. But see here, all the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to give testimony in Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Our common cause is that Christ has come in our families and made the difference. We don't need to find another uh, common denominator or union than Christ, if indeed he's in you. Because if he's not, you can't get together, not even with your own tribe. This is what's fantastic about the Middle East. All the Arabs join in unity to kill Israel. Let's say they achieve that purpose, which is not going to happen because of the God of Israel. He protects them. He will oversee Israel forevermore. And no one will come against them. Whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. Whoever curses Israel will be cursed. And so that's the same thing about the church. Whoever blesses the church will be blessed. Whoever curses the church, they will be cursed. The, the animosity in their hearts will withdraw them from the place that God desires for them to be thankful for the things that they have received. Verse 5, it continues on to say, there stands a throne. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. There's, there's going to be uh, the decisions of heaven are being made here upon the earth. If you're having issues with the decisions in the house of God, you're, 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 you're headed for problems. Because in heaven, it's the same measure. Verse 6, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May those who love you be prosperous. Pray for the peace of the house of God so that you might prosper. May they prosper who love you. I've seen that happen for over 40 years. I've seen the people that are on fire for God and love the house of God, how they have prospered at levels that far surpass any of their dreams and hope because they're praying for the prosperity of Jerusalem. Verse 7, it goes on to say, May their peace be within your walls and security within your palaces. Those girls that are getting married, you better marry in the house. You better marry within the troops of God's troops so that you might have peace in your home and prosperity. Everyone whose challenges have had miserable lives. One of the men told me, well, is this to go on forever? I said, yes, brother, that's what you chose. You chose outside the house of God. You chose for yourself great distress and problems. Verse 8, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace, peace be with you. For the sake of my family and my friends, I want to prosper the work of God, the house of God, the calling of God. I hope this is drilled into your spirit today. Verse 9, for the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. I will seek your good. There's nothing you're going to do. And I said this in a time where people are, are, are investing in Bitcoin, in uh, this digital currency, in land, in investments. There's no greater investment in the world than the work of the Lord. Why? Because no one will touch your investment. You see, what, what we have done, and you follow the track of our financial disposition, you'll see that we invest in the kingdom of God. He says, but aren't you scared you're going to lose it? No. Why? Because Jesus, he is the one that oversees its reserves. If you were to go to a bank and deposit a million dollars, they would give you $100,000 because that's their coverage and insurance. You would lose 900000 But if you brought a million to the house of God, there's a man who's a debtor to no man, and his name is God the Father. He's not going to owe you a single dime or penny. Why? He gave it all in his son. And he's not looking. He's the owner of the gold and the silver. So any disposition you put towards the house of God, it's coming back. It's coming back with great prosperity and great race. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you pray and think. And we have not seen that level of glory because I, I saw men being the pastor of this church uh, 20 years. Um, and early on, like 15 years ago, the market was amazing. Everybody was buying houses and buying and investing in land. They lost it all. They lost it all. And during that time, I was telling them if they would have invested in the house and in the work of the Lord, they wouldn't have lost anything. They would have gotten back a return that would have blown their socks off because God is faithful. So here it is. When God is calling them out of Egypt, say out of Egypt, slaves to darkness and gloom and doom, building pyramids, he calls them out and he says, you are to celebrate my feast. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 1 you're to celebrate these feasts that I teach you and these feasts will come so that you know that God controls times and seasons 
You're to celebrate these holy gatherings, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. There were seven feasts in the Old Testament. I'm not going to get into that um, entirely. But I do want you to know that you coming out of the world, God begins to put you on the footage and are stepping to celebrate him. These feasts are about God so that you not forget who brought you out of darkness to light. He's worthy for you to celebrate on the appointed times. Verse 2, these gatherings speak to the children of Israel and say, the feast of the Lord. A lot of people called it Joaquinitos Gala. That was not Joaquinitos Gala. That was Jesus Christ full and full. All the way through, 100%, entirely. That's celebrating God. And it's not spring of life. It's the goodness of God in our lives that we can celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so I want to be a godly leader and lead God's people to celebrate that which is most worthy to celebrate. And we did an awesome job. Next year, I pray that it doubles and triples. The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy. Why? These are my feasts. And sorry, I spit on myself here. Watch this. Ready for this? He says, and you are to celebrate them throughout every generation perpetually. He didn't say this is Old Testament stuff. He says, these are my feasts that will spotlight seasons that I want you to highlight. And so we see Colossians, and we read it last uh, on Wednesday. I think it's uh, Colossians 2, verse 17. It says, these are just shadows. These things are a shadow of the things to come. The substance is Christ. Every celebration mode in the Old Testament marks a New Testament reality. So you say, okay, what was the first feast that he told us to celebrate? Passover. This was the, listen to me. In my family, our testimony is the day that the blood of Jesus came over our family, the devil touched us no more. That's the Passover. You are to kill a lamb and put his blood on your doorpost so that the death angel, when it goes by seeking whom to kill, he will pass over. And we celebrate that not every year. We celebrate that every day. That the blood of Jesus is able to cover us from every demon in hell. But whenever I go anywhere, I celebrate the Passover. I say, Jesus, cover me in your blood. I don't want any demon to come close to me when I'm going to go do some spiritual warfare. Whenever I'm up against any battle, whenever I want God to show up and the devil not to touch me, I'm celebrating Passover. And it's just a substance, uh, a shadow of the substance that's to come. The substance is Christ. These feasts... Um, they, they are like, um, I, I'll, I'll do it like this. Back here behind me on the wall, because of these big lights, there's a shadow of who I am. But that's nothing compared to this man. That's a, that's a shadow, but this is the real thing. So the Old Testament feasts are just shadows of the things that were to come later. So the Passover is a great thing because Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and was crucified on the Passover feast. Many years later, I would say over 2,000 years later, Jesus shows up on the earth and he dies and hangs on the cross in Passover. Just like in the Old Testament, they had to grab a lamb and grab the blood, put it on the doorpost. Now this lamb comes and his blood is put over our lives and now the devil can't touch us. And we celebrate that as a feast of the Lord. And, it's, and the feast is what God has done that we're to celebrate and remember that we might praise him and walk in it. Not for you to walk distant from it. And so the devil wants to steal your lunch and cause you not to be able to celebrate. But there is the Passover. And the Passover feast was really powerful in bringing us to the pace um, where we would overcome the death angel and start moving out to the promised land. It was that time that the devil let go. And it was that time they started walking towards Canaan, a land that flowed with milk and honey. But in that walk, the Lord told them, now as you celebrate Passover, some days from Passover, the second feast was the feast of unleavened bread. And you're like, man, uh, I don't know why God wants to talk about unleavened bread because I love a lot of yeast. In my no, listen to me. He's talking about he wants authenticity. He wants sincerity. He wants transparency. 
See, the first thing is, is what God did for us. But now, if we're going to come in to celebrate the second feast, it's the feast of unleavened bread. And then he says like this, you to make sure that you keep this feast, Leviticus 23, 6, by removing all the leaven that's in your house. On the 15th day of the same month in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So this festival or this feast or this, this proclamation, am I going to have enough time? I, I hope so. Listen, he wants you to eat bread that's unleavened. What's that mean? Quit walking with hypocrisy. You're one person in front of me. You're another person behind me. That's not God's people. That's when we were in the world. One of the, this is the single most powerful thing in my life with my children is dad is the same at church as he is at home, as he is at work. He's not three different persons because I celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's one of the, the hallmarks of our Christianity is to remove hypocrisy. Remove everything that's a fake you. Die to your old self. Get rid of that old man who wants to be two-faced. He wants to be like the devil. One thing here and another thing when he's at home, you know, with his family, children, marriage. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, Paul reminds us, hey, we're celebrating a feast, New Testament. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If we're real Christians, we've done away with hypocrisy. When I was invited to the governor's mansion last month, and I can't stand in the polit political atmosphere. Everybody's like smiling, and they're conniving, and they're sharks and snakes. I can't stand it. When you come to be live without hypocrisy, without um, transparency, here goes, when this man comes up to me, and goes, hey, what you doing here? And he's like, he wanted to enter into the political climate of the, the riffraff. You tell me who I, I'm president of the Republican Party of the Trumps in Broward County. I said, well, my spiritual father is Richie Ray, and he led me to the Lord in 1984. Well, what did one thing have to do with that? He was coming with hypocrisy. I was coming with reality. He says, I know your pastor. And all the face, the mask was removed. He saw that I wasn't there to do politics. I'm talking, you guys think I'm crazy, right? That was literally the conversation. Hey, I'm the leader of the Republican Party for Trump in Fort Lauderdale. Says, I'm born again because Richie Ray led me to the gospel in 1984. And I knew he would knew Richie Ray because I knew he was Colombian. And as soon as I said Richie Ray, he says, El Maestro. I go, yeah, El Maestro led me to Jesus Christ, though. Because <laughs> they weren't even speaking Spanish. So... So we need to be real people. And in those climates, if you're real, real comes out. I sat on an airplane to go visit Jules some years ago. He was graduating from medical school. I had an old cougar here and a young kitty cat here. And both of them were attacking the pastor. And they said, oh, my husband left me. And this one says, I'm looking for a new husband. I said, I'm a pastor. God bless you. They both started crying. They needed Jesus. I wasn't going to be cougared. I wasn't going to be kitty cat. No, I was going to be Christ, substance. I was going to be no hypocrisy, sincerity, truth. I love the, the conversation um, one of our businessmen had with a partner. He says, listen, we're going to tell them that we make $10 million a year so they could take us on. I said, he says, I'm not willing to lie. Because when you lie, you go into the devil's atmosphere and you're exchanging with demons. But when you tell truth, it sets you free and it puts you on top as a champion. And he says, I will not lie. And they got the business, but they didn't have to lie. So this is what's happening when God tells his people, not only celebrate Passover, celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. These feasts are not being tricky and wicked, but being sincere and truthful. Then you'll see the people in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus was seeing how people trampled one another. And Jesus makes reference to the unleavened bread feast when he says, in the meantime, there was innumerable multitudes of people that gathered together, so they were trampling one another. And what did trampling make Jesus remember? These people that are supposed to be walking without hypocrisy are not celebrating 
It says, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Remove the double face from your life. Quit having one conversation in front of people and another conversation behind people. How do you do that? Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. And for seven days, they were not to have leaven. Leaven is that which causes the bread to rise and puff up. Listen, go low. Go low and humble yourself that God might exalt you, that God might defend you. Get hypocrisy out of your life. And in verse uh, 2, he says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Verse 3, what you have said in darkness will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. You're not going to hide from yourself. Come clean. God wants, he's cleaned us. Let's be the real people. Let's not have facades. The third feast was the feast of first fruits. <clears throat> no, let's go to Galatians 5, 9 with 11. Um, Paul says a little leaven lumps the whole lump. If you start out with a little hypocrisy and a little bit two-faced, you only grow in greater lying and darkness. So he says a little leaven lumps the whole lump. Verse 10 I have confidence in you and in the Lord that you will be, have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Whoever doesn't like for you to be the real deal, that's his problem, not yours. You continue to be truthful and loving, and you become forthright without hypocrisy and all sincerity. And so the, the, uh, we're, on the third, um, we're on the third feast, first Passover, then the, the removing hypocrisy, the feast of unleavened bread. Then the third feast is the first, the feast of the first fruit. It, the, the feast of the first fruit was as soon as you have a harvest for being freed by Jesus Christ and living in sincerity, bring whatever you have to the Lord. It's called the first fruit. If you have a sign that God has done something in your life, bring it to the Lord. They'll be the first fruit blessings. There are people in this church, you don't know who they are, but they said, I made so much in January, I want to give everything I've made as my first fruits for the year to God. And their understanding is if they give God their whole first fruit, they're going to have a end of the harvest greater blessing than anybody else. And, and they do that quietly and they don't tell nobody. They don't bring their tithe to the house of the Lord. In January, they bring the whole amount and they say, God, this is yours first fruits of your blessing my life this year and they know they've been doing it for years they know that God is faithful in supplying them in great portions so this first fruit feast is is the next step after Passover after the unleavened bread the Jewish people would mark Thanksgiving at the beginning of the harvest and they would bring their first fruits here it is in 1 Corinthians 15 20 that Jesus says the first fruits in substance in Christ is his resurrection Jesus was the first fruit of those that will raise from the dead. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. He has come out of the grave and he has risen up as God's first fruit of the harvest. Who's coming afterwards? We are. We will come afterwards. That was the fourth feast. Not only the feast of first fruits, but it was the feast of um, Pentecost. 50 days into the harvest, not the first week, but 50 days into it, they used to bring not the little things that were born at the beginning. They used to bring the big kahuna, the big expressions of the harvest and say, look, this is Pentecost. 50 days after the feast of first fruits, here's the fruit of what God's blessing is. And, and it says that the, the fruits of the harvest were more mature. So as you grow in the Lord, you're not supposed to give the puny little garbanzos, the little raisins and stuff like that. You're supposed to bring the great large harvest of God's evidence in your life. If he's done nothing, give him nothing. But if he's done glorious, um, I just heard something six months ago. He says there are millionaires and billionaires, but some will always be hundredaires and thousandaires. Because they've never grown into being able to give God in larger measure. Thank God I've been a hundredaire for years, a thousandaire for years. I can't wait to be a millionaire in the giving of to my God, the prosperity he gives in my life. 
to be able to bless nations and bless the work of God with what he gives you. He's not asking you for what he didn't give you. It's from what you have. Some people have no expression to give the first fruits or the feast of Pentecost is not celebrated. So then after Pentecost comes the feast of the trumpets and then the feast of atonement and then the feast of tabernacles. But I didn't want to go through all these and use our time with that because in these people who had all the expressions of God giving them continual parties. I was asking the Lord this morning, Lord, these miserable, gloomy people that never celebrate nothing, now you want them to be the party animals. You, you want them to, to light up the sky. You want them to have great expressions of exuberance and glory and shouting. What's going on? What happened? He says, when they did not celebrate my feast, I led them captive to Babylon. What? They were captain of Egypt. You pulled them out. You gave them all the feasts. They didn't celebrate it. So they fell into captivity in Babylon. Another, another empire where there was no feasting. There was no harvest. There was no crops. There was nothing. Everything had been stripped again. And so Psalm 37, 137, he starts listening to the voice of those that are in Babylon. And look what they say. Verse 1. Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept and we remembered our parties in Zion. Do you believe a people that was called to celebrate big now find themselves in captivity again without celebration and without liberty? They were stripped and servants now. We sat and cried. We sat and cried and cried and cried because we, there was no motive for parties. They had been stripped from their families, their marriages, their crops, their harvest, the fellowship of God's people. Verse 2, he says, we remembered Zion. We decided to not play our harps. We put them upon willow trees. They're the sad willow, they're droopy. Our harps were no longer instruments that we could play in the land of celebration. That's what the devil takes from you being able to celebrate Christ. You're a fool. You should be at the front of that parade. You should pray that if everybody walks away, you're still following Christ and you're still shouting shouts of praise and God's goodness in your life and you will perpetually celebrate. This is what's happening. God has us occasion to celebrate many things. I said, come here, let me see your list of complaints. Oh, Pastor, look. Okay, let me see your list of gratitude and praise and all thanksgiving. They have none. So what you don't celebrate is stripped from your life. You don't celebrate your marriage, you lose it. You don't celebrate your kids, you lose them. You don't celebrate your prosperity and wealth in, in workplace, you lose it. You don't deserve that. You don't, don't walk around entitled. I told one man, came to for counseling last week. Um, I said, I have a little box there. And it's the cremated remains of my aunt, Estela Puentes. It's in my office. I, I need to dispose of it. I find, find out where, what holy place to put that woman to rest. Ready for this? I told that man, you continue complaining about your wife and what's going on in your life, and you're just going to be that little box next week, and I'll just stack you right up next to my aunt. Because what are you griping about when God is giving you life, when he's giving you Christ, when he's giving you church, when he's giving you all things so that you could serve him with abundant gladness, and you're nitpicking, no, because I was one there, one day I went there, and Ulysses stood in the doorway, didn't let me in the house of God, so now... You've been stripped. You've been stripped from your celebration. These people in Babylon, they had to hang their harps. There was nowhere to rejoice. They were uh, next to the willow trees, all droopy, and their eyes were full of weeping. Verse 3, Psalm 137, 3, they continue to write, For there, those who carried us away captive asked of us, Hey, sing songs. Sing those great, glorious songs. Alabare, alabare. Sing praises. And they mocked us. They said, come on. Uh, they said, uh, look what the Lord has done. Uh, 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 look what the Lord has done. And you're bouncing out. And, and there's no more praise. There's gloom and doom because you cultivated a dark spirit. You were taken captive. And those that took us captive said, sing to us the songs of laughter. Those who plundered us requested, hey, sing that song. Sing us one of those victorious songs you used to sing when you celebrated God. 
the songs of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again. Where is gloom and doom for you? Where in that song? Parentheses. Let's, let the dogs out. No, again. Who changed your song? Why can't you celebrate the goodness of God? Look what he's done. Those who carried us away captive mocked us, saying, where's your laughter? Where's your songs? Verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How are we going to rejoice when we've been stripped when we no longer know how to have joyful celebrations. We went out to Peru. There was a million people on the backside of Lima because of the Sendero Luminoso terrorists. They went through the countryside kidnapping, raping, and pillaging people. So they all ran to the edge of the city. They weren't let into the city. So there's no infrastructure. There's no gutter. There's no bathrooms. There's no water. There's no electricity. The saddest place I've been on the earth. A million people where there's no infrastructure, crapping on themselves, no food, no light, no water. There's a little church invited me, and they were singing, look what the Lord has done. They were singing, they were clapping, they were praising, and people were looking over there saying, who are these psychopaths? You know who they are? The redeemed of the Lord that were saying so. I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed. Look what the Lord has done. Well, I want to converse to you to stain your fellowship, your feast of love. I want to shipwreck your faith. No, thank you. I don't need that. I don't need your narrative in my celebration. I need his narrative. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. We need to walk in celebration, people. We need to know what we celebrate, why we celebrate. We need to celebrate our parents. We need to celebrate our marriages. Tell your kids what God has done in your marriage. Celebrate God's goodness. But we were in a foreign land and could not celebrate. Verse 5, i got to hurry up. If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand, let my prosperity, let my strength lose its skill. Herardo talks about this when he plays the trumpet. He says, one day, I wasn't celebrating that God gave me the gift of playing the trumpet, and I lost my... <sighs> Nothing would come out. A champion trumpet player could not play his trumpet because the Lord stripped him of his talent, of his gifting. And he cried, and they would call him, hey, could you play this weekend? He says, no, oh, I got to go visit my grandma. It wasn't visiting grandma. It wasn't Red Riding Hood. He had lost his capacity to play the trumpet. Would you like to lose the skill of your right hand? That which is your strength, that which is your fortitude, because you did not celebrate. If I forget what God has done, let his right hand, let my right hand forget his skill. But he says something worth, verse 6. He says, if I remember you not, if I try to remove from my memory what God represents in my life, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. You know what that's a sign for? No water, no food. Only people who have starved and thirsted to death know what it is that their tongue would stick to the top of their roof. That means they're stripped of all provision. He says, if I forget and not remember you, let me starve and thirst to death because of what you bring. If I do not exalt, if I do not lift up Jerusalem as the object above my chief joy. You know what you celebrate. You know what your chief joy is. You better grab God and put him at the highest of your celebration joy lest you lose. Yes, you lose. And then you sit there and you sulk and you lick your wounds and say, well, I don't know what happened. I used to be in a place in a land of praise and, and, and worship and land of dance and song, a, a land of music, a land of celebration, a land of victory. What am I doing in the desolate wilderness surround by a, surrounded by a whole bunch of hyenas? How did I lose this scenario? This is the psalmist. He's saying these things. Verse 7, remember, O Lord. Now watch what he says. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom. Edom were the, were the descendants of Saul who forsook his um, uh, inheritance. The first fruit, uh, firstborn inheritance, right? Saul says, what I need this for? And he sold it to his young brother, Jacob. 
And he says, the sons of Saul, the Edomites, they had one decision. They came against Jerusalem on that day and they say, raise it, raise it, demolish it to its mere foundation. Act like it didn't even exist. Could you believe there's people that think like that? That wish that we would disappear? That wish that we would no longer be in our mode of celebration, in our land of promise, in our habitation? They wish that they could erase the thoughts of what the prosperity of Jerusalem means to us. Guess what? No devil in hell is going to prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. They could pray all they want to raise it. I never knew that word raise. Raise means bring down, tear it down, demolish it to its lowest level, disappear it. So we don't even have remembrance that we were there. Who are these people? The sons of Edom. The people that despise their in firstborn inheritance and so i want to bring to you the manner of joyful celebration what is that philippians 4 4 it says rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice if that is not in the mode of the recipe and the ingredients and the food that you're eating tell them no thanks i used to live there no thanks i used to live there in a place no motive of celebration no motive of praise this is why when this church started every year I had this, this entire altar filled with trophies. Every year we would do that. And we would give, this is to the baby of the year award, the rookie of the year. So we give it to the guy who came in and was born in our house. And this is the guy who gave most money. This is the guy, and I celebrate. And some guy came up to me and goes, well, why are you doing rewards? And we're supposed to get our rewards in heaven. I said, yeah, but I'm starting to party now. <laughs> starting to party now. I, I can't wait to get a little bit of heaven on this side of eternity. Why? Because I'm eternity driven. And you know why we stopped doing that? Because all those people left. They all left. They got upset because I would celebrate the goodness of God every year, giving the most valuable player, the most RBIs, the most runs, the most yards, the most touchdowns, the most. The world does it, and we don't. We don't. I've been praying for a tailgate party here. For years, I said, come to the tailgate party. Come out there and get drunk with the Holy Spirit. Come inside here and let the game start. But we have people coming here after the praise and songs. I'm not going to point any fingers right here. See where it touches you. See where it touches you. Because you're not supposed to get here after we start praising our God. It's our priority. It's telling our kids we need to be there at the first note of the first song. We got to be here at the devotion when Maggie busts out the loose. And gives us the best. Why? Why? Why, Jurgen? Why? 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 Because we're not hypocritical. We're not trashing the church. We're celebrating the church. We're celebrating the people of God. We're celebrating the blood of Christ. But did you know that guy? Yeah, the blood of Jesus washed it all away. He's being sanctified and justified and redeemed and made like the image of the Christ. If we can rejoice... If we can rejoice always, Philippians 4.4, 4. rejoice always, rejoice in the Lord always, always. Hey, I got something negative, no, always. Hey, could I tell you one bad, no, always. I don't want to hear your skunk junk, your stinking thinking, your polluting the atmosphere with all the things you can't celebrate. You choose to mourn and to criticize over what you can celebrate and give thanks to the Lord for? That's a horrible atmosphere. Again, I say rejoice. How do you do this? Verse 5. You do this by letting your gentleness be known to all men. That the Lord is at hand. You remember Christ is about to get back. You want to be in his atmosphere. Verse 6. Being anxious for nothing. Why? Because being anxious for, not, for something allows you not to rejoice. If something's weighing heavy on your heart. Last night at the gala... Um, Pastor Richie's wife, Angie, looked at me and she says, I'm looking at your face. You don't look too happy. No, I'm not happy because I wish everybody was here tonight. I wish everybody would be able to have the capacity to celebrate the goodness of God and what he's done in our lives. There's motives beyond measure to celebrate in this house for you to nick and pick and, rip and, rip and, and be ripped out of fellowship because of the critical nature of Satan in you that celebrates nothing and no one. We don't have a capacity to celebrate. That's why we're not getting the fruits God has for us. He says, be anxious for nothing and everything. By prayer, give thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. Put them there before God so you have another motive to celebrate. His goodness. Verse 7. 
And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. That's what keeps you from celebrating. Your heart and mind are captured, taken captive by those that want to take you to Babylon, to a sad place. Through Jesus Christ, he will guard your heart and mind. Verse 8, so therefore, put your thoughts on everything true, everything noble, everything just, everything. So there's some people that are critical analysts start taking inventory of all records wrong the bible says love keeps record of no wrong that's why i like to play golf in the spirit of god because i don't keep records of all the balls i lose i keep record of no wrong i walk in love and you should too in your christianity how dare you have a conversation of somebody who wants to disparage twist distort and stinkify your brother in christ so the other day a brother was saying man Whew, the smell in this place is horrible. I said, it's coming from you, sir. It's coming from you. Somebody's smelling something. Have them smell themselves and then come back to you later. There's something called deodorant. It's very good. Use it, spiritual deodorant, my friends. Don't let somebody rain on your parade. Psalm 30, verse 11, I finish with this. He turned my mourning into dancing. He turned my sadness into great celebration. Why are you playing that music I used to listen to in the world? One of the brothers said to a man that came talking to him, he says, if I listen to your narrative and your music, I'm going to backslide, I'm going to leave Christ, and I'm going to go back into the world, never to come back to church because of what you're saying right now. He says, don't you understand I was an atheist? I didn't celebrate, I didn't sing, I didn't love God, and now you're telling me something that's going to sink and shipwreck my, sh my ship. Thank you, but no thank you. Don't come and, and, and take my celebration. Don't come and take my joy. If you want to sulk and lick your wounds and be bitter and you feel great in a gloomy and dark place, have at it, my friend. But God has turned our dancing into mourning. He's turned, he's put sackcloth. You have put off my sackcloth. That's the bitterness and, and groom. And clothe me with gladness. If you want to play a song, I'll dance to it. But don't bring your junk because I'm not going to dance to that mumbo. It was there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel purposed himself not to dance at the king's palace. That's Satan. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy. The devil's dying to take away from you your song and your dance and your music and take away your joyful uh, uh, celebration. You tell him that God has given you garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61, 3. Really powerful. We'll read this and we're finished. The strength of Isaiah 60, 61, there it is. To console those who mourn, that's our, that's our ministry. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified through them. Verse 10 continues on to say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in the, my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with the ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So the Lord will do with us also. Let's stand up today. I'm sorry for taking so long, but I'm full of God from head to toe. I love God. I love God's people. I love God's word. I love the work that he's doing in our lives. We say wherever we're at, we're not perfect, but we're genuine. And there's room for repentance. There's room for forgiveness. There's room for reconciliation. And so all these manners that we don't even know how to celebrate, you know, start, uh, when the, this church first started, it, it started under controversy. And we did, not, uh, we, not, we did not celebrate our first anniversary and birthday of this church until our seventh year. They didn't celebrate the first year anniversary, the second year anniversary, the third year. There was no celebration here. But at the seventh year mark, you know what I said? Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. And I began to celebrate what God was doing in this place. And now the party has grown a lot more and more people are celebrating. But there are some people destined to never celebrate. I suggest you not be with those people. I, I suggest that that's not the spirit of the Lord. Our God is a God of great feast and celebration, and there's always motive to celebrate. One man says, how do I celebrate my wife? All she does is talk on the phone all day. I said, celebrate that she does that. You're so marvelous. You can talk for hours. 
You're, you're great. You're amazing. Celebrate her for anything. <clears throat> what a gift and what a grace. We can choose to celebrate. We can choose to mourn. We could choose to make everything toxic. And we create an atmosphere that nothing thrives. So, Father, we pray that you make us that people, your people. That we could celebrate Passover. We could celebrate first fruits. We could celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We could celebrate um, the Feast of Trumpets, the, the Feast of uh, Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacle. You say that you're coming back with the sound of the trumpet call, that we might be ready to celebrate the sound of that trumpet, being your bride, loving you more than anything else in the earth, that that would be our chief joy, that that would be the greatest expression of our delight. That if not, cause everything in our life to grow stale and die and rot, that we might move to the place that you desire us to be. A people that's able to praise him who brought us out of darkness to your marvelous light. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for our pastors and our leaders. Thank you for our elders. Thank you for our musicians and our worship leaders. Thank you for those who serve in the house of God. Thank you for those that are growing strong in the power of the Lord and in his might. This is not done nor with power nor with might, but by your Holy Spirit, Lord. You shall fulfill these things. You, they shall be a reality in our lives and we shall rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says, amen, amen, and amen. Who's the first to start our tailgate parties? I'm waiting. Bring the punch, bring the chips, bring ever the footballs and be in the parking lot hours before we open the church to praise our God. God bless you.